It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello. Hi. Well, here we are. It's uh, another episode of Reasons to be Cheerful. It's the post-election episode of Reasons to be Cheerful. And it's hard to be on brand. It is difficult to be on brand. And we've really agonised about what we should do with this week's podcast. And the best we could come up with is why don't we just sort of have have a a sit here, have have a a chat chat about how it was and uh, where these ideas go next. So (laughs) It was bad. That's the end of the but podcast. Come on, it's not the end of the podcast. You you were uh, no. re-elected in your, in no, your no. constituency. Uh, no, it was bad. How was it, uh, both the campaign and election night, compared to two years ago or other elections you've you've fought in that constituency and the, the conversations you were having on the doorsteps? Um, it was it was significantly harder, um, as you can tell by the results. Not just my results, but results across across the north of England, um, it was significantly harder because you had lots of Labour voters who... And, you know, I had this sense for the camp... the During the whole campaign, in fact, before the campaign, of lots of Labour voters who, you know, for a combination of reasons, had severe doubts about voting for us. And it was a real... It was a real slog. I mean, it was a real slog. I mean, here's what I've wondered about yeah. a little bit is... So lots of people listen to this, I think, will have been out canvassing and... and, yeah. and door knocking and had an experience yeah. on the doorstep like i wondered how different that is for you in your constituency because yes you're the local mp but you're also somebody they've seen in the newspapers and seen on the telly and if you knock on their door that's going to be a different experience that you're having it varied um and you know i suppose i sort of you know, we knocked on something like over 7,000 doors in the course of the period from September onwards. And, you know, I sort of probably something more like 8,000. And I, and I sort of, you know, prided myself on being able to try and turn most people who were who were having doubts round. So that's the sort of thing that is, you know, uh, you feel like you that, that's what makes it worthwhile because you feel it is sort of you are – and, an and that was your experience but, if people were saying, I, well, you, I can't vote Labour well, this would, time because of reason A or B. You yeah, were well, we, to... you know, I think you could, you know, we made arguments about, you know, that there were many other issues other than Brexit that really mattered in this election. Um, and try, for example, and trying to convince people that, you know, what happened to the NHS and all these other things. I'm not saying this worked nationally, but, but I think, you know, that was an argument one could make to people and you could see people weighing up in their minds the combination you know they sort of clash their clashing views on brexit and their clashing views on something like the nhs in other words it was driving them brexit might have been driving them to vote for the tories or the brexit party the nhs and so on would have been driving them to vote labor and and you know i had an incredible team of volunteers who sort of came out and, and the weather i mean i know the weather sounds like a sort of trivial thing but it really wasn't i mean the weather was so awful i mean it's just it's just at, having an election in 
you know, where you're the meat of your campaign is in November and December, early December. I mean, it's really, I mean, we can see why they, nobody's done it for a hundred years. I mean, election day itself was just miserable, not just because it was hard going, but because the weather was just, it just pissed down with rain for about four or five hours in the sort of business part of the day between about one and six. And then it actually got better. Um, but I mean, you know, by that point, it's like six o'clock on a, Thursday evening in December, people just not necessarily wanted to go out. But on the, on the I'm bright, not saying that massively affected yeah. the result. But. but on the bright side, you know, at least people are answering the doors because they think you might be an Amazon delivery with the Christmas presents. Uh, yes. <laughs> Whereas other times of year, they just sort of think, yes. oh, it's probably canvases, I'm not going to Actually, the last, the last success I had was at nine o'clock and there was a guy in his dressing gown on the um, doorstep and someone talking to him and I just passed by his door and I'd brought Ronnie O'Sullivan to my constituency to play snooker at a local club or a couple of local clubs. And he said, and I, he said, you remember me, don't you? And I said, and I said you look incredibly familiar. And I, then I remembered he's the, he's the guy who played Ronnie O'Sullivan at snooker. Uh, <laughs> just like different and in he his said dressing to me, gown. And he said to me, oh, well, you know, I, he said, I'm definitely, don't worry. He said, I'm definitely going to go out and vote. Um, but by that, but that was the last door to knock on. And by then, because by that you kept knocking, we kept knocking and knocking for another half an hour or something. But people were basically either not answering the door or just saying, "I'm not." I'm I know not you out. will shut down if I start complimenting you, but just knowing you in real life and having both been to Doncaster and talked to you a lot during it, so, so you, it, just, you you observed, you did a campaign. Just, I to didn't be clear. Get, I did, I did. I, you know, I, I was there as Protecting a your journalist, exactly. Yes, but it was um, the the amount of your. I mean, it was just your entire life. Uh, it, you, every waking I'm sure moment. I'm that's true of all candidates, of most candidates, actually, of most candidates at the election. Um, I, I couldn't believe that, though. I mean, I, you just didn't have any downtime. No, you just that does sound like me, though. Yeah, but I, th- I thought it was yeah. a phenomenal thing. But so we we're going to talk about what the election because there's lots of people doing post mortems of the election, but we wanted to talk about, didn't we, about what does it say about big ideas? Because big ideas is the theme of the podcast. Yeah, and if you if you think about Labour's manifesto, but also to a lesser extent, or maybe to a greater, greater extent in a way, the, the Greens or uh, Plaid or SNP or the Lib Dems, like a lot of the ideas that we've talked about these past couple of years on the podcast w- appeared in s- some yeah. shape or form. Um and and I think it's sort of fair to say that it it feels a little bit like oh those ideas have all been rejected, so we wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit really. Yeah. What what what's your look as an observer of it? What do you? What does it make you think? I mean, just I I guess because so we should have done the podcast with Boris Johnson. <laughs> Uh, I, 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 t- I mean, just think. Was he on your list? Yeah, yeah I mean, he <laughs> originally. Yeah, yeah. But it, was, but it wasn't that long a list before yeah, I true. got to yeah, you. Okay, fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, just a couple of pages of A4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's my first observation isn't necessarily about the ideas or rejection of the ideas, but just whether people are ready 
during an election campaign. It, this feels counterintuitive in a way because you think, oh, well, you know, the old Tony Benn thing about people vote on policies, yeah. not personalities. And surely, like, the manifesto with all these yeah. policies should be the thing. But I wonder if kind of bombarding people yeah. with a load of ideas yeah. which seem like they've come out of nowhere, um, like that they're a Christmas list is isn't the way to sell those ideas and and an election campaign actually has to be something well, look, more simple my starting point on this is you know i was quite admiring of what was done in 2017 um at the election by by jeremy corbyn because i felt he was bolder than i'd been in 2015 and he had yielded results now clearly the boldness did not yield results in 2019. I'm not saying we won in 2017, we didn't win, but clearly Labour got 40% of the vote. But given that you and I in coming from different places want to preserve the idea that big ideas matter, I think I think it is definitely worth us talking through well what lessons do we learn about the ability to make big ideas happen. Yeah. And I think one of them in a way that's your start, isn't it? Um is well well i think i think i suppose one is probably the big ideas have to be seeded before the election campaign begins because words, take something like the four-day week if it, it comes out of relatively speaking out of no nowhere it could just seem it can really well yeah and it yeah. can really just zip off in the wrong direction and be just quite pro- and problematic and difficult now you might just say well the four-day week is just not you know, it might be an idea whose time is, comes in 10 years' time, but it's not an idea for now or how you get to it. But, I mean, you, there's clearly a lesson to be learned there, isn't there, about, you know, whether an election – election campaign is – particularly an election campaign for the Labour Party is not a sort of – it's not a sort of – it's not a very forgiving place for floating things that are quite new – I mean, there's, I think I think it's an interesting co- contrast between tuition fees and the four-day week, right? Because tuition fees was an idea that came not out of nowhere, but I'm pretty sure it was unveiled first time in the 2017 election. hadn't been seeded beforehand, and some people said it's a bad choice, it's a bad idea, whatever it is. But I mean, it definitely flew in the 2017 election. Now, I'm not saying the four-day week was a central tuition. But the, fee. the difference with tuition was fees that people didn't is, have tuition fees. Yeah, so it's like yeah. we're going to make it back how it back, back yeah. how it was in the good old days. Is how is the sell for tuition fees? Whereas four-day weeks, I mean, yeah, I, I think the the future of work is a really interesting exactly. topic, and in the, the exactly. way that that's going to change. Exactly. But if you're telling people who are working two jobs. Yeah, that oh, we're going to bring in a four-day week. They're thinking, yeah. well, how am I going to yeah. put food on the table? Because the whole future of work issue hasn't been yeah. talked about and thought about yeah. in as clear a way as as maybe when people were trying to get Saturdays off a hundred years ago. Well, that's an interesting point too, isn't it? Which is that some of these ideas, not only well, some of them come about because of because of political struggle, the five-day week, you know the. 40 hour you know all of those changes you remember when we did the episode yeah it was like what was it in the 1860s something like 60 plus hours the average working week and it came down over time yeah now some of that was government legislation yeah but but from it was sort of pressure i mean there was movements that built the pressure to make it happen yeah so i suppose there's, so there's one point about an election campaign being a sort of un 
it is commodious. Is that the wrong word? No, it's not uh, not like Mark Kermode. Is that the no, 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 I, I, you know, an, a sort of an, an uncomfortable place to unveil, right? Yeah, sort of quite, you know, stark new ideas. Well, we've we've done a bit of digging into this, and and manifestos just weren't very long in the past. Yeah, like 1945 was quite short. Yeah, we don't kind of have a small font, so. <laughs> But even uh, even so, but look, anyway, let, yeah, let, I'm, yeah. I'm sort of being. Okay. I'm going to be sort of list. I'm being sort of like a slightly. I can see you going yeah. through it on your fingers here. You yeah. need to get through but your so points. So one is about one is about uh, the, the sort of the election being a, a new place for it, and, and some ideas will work in elections. A new place to have them unveiled, and some won't. Yes. Yeah. Um, secondly, I think there is something about sort of. Is there a movement behind it? I mean, there really was a movement behind it. I mean, just going back to tuition fees, there really was a movement. Yeah, definitely. It was a sort of ready-made movement. Yeah, especially after what after what had happened with the coalition government in 2010. Yeah. That had, the, the issue had become a big thing, yeah. just tuition fees and then, generally. I think then thirdly in what you said, there's a sort of implicit thing, isn't there, about um, the multiplicity to, to, yeah. to you know tuition fees was one big idea yep. of 2017 there were lots of big ideas in 2019 yeah and, and maybe so, too you know maybe too many and i think that's, and so, that's already been said by john mcdonnell and others and, and, th- and then it can just seem like sort of throwing everything but the kitchen sink yeah you know and like, i think about free broadband on the night they announced that we were on the phone and, and you were yeah. like oh here's, here's an yeah. idea that's just come up and uh, sort of instinctively when you think about what how it, how important being digitally connected yeah. is in today's age. It felt like this good idea, but something happened where that idea then ended up seeming like they're, they're saying, oh, they're going to take one of my household bills away. It's almost, it felt, it, it, it sort of got mangled into a bribe. Or too almost. transactional. Yeah, I think so. And, and, but because the conversation about what, uh, communities being connected and, and what people at uh, a different end of the income spectrum being connected, what difference that could make hadn't already been had, if you see what I mean. I mean, I am also struck about Mrs. Thatcher because what Mrs. Thatcher did, if you take nationalisation, just in the context of broadband, was that in the 1979 manifesto, you know, Mrs. Thatcher didn't say she's going to privatise all the things she eventually privatised. It was like I think we've looked it up. It was like BAA Joel looked up BAA systems and council council house sales, you know, and that was it. So it was sort of proof. There's a sort of proof of concept thing. and sort of not scaring the horses a bit, perhaps as well. I mean, mind you, I suspect that we don't know this, but the reason for all of that was because, you know, the the default position was that the election was going to become about Brexit, and without controversy of a different kind, right? The election would have just defaulted to that i mean anyway so this is not this is not intended to be sort of this is just a sort of this is these are more observations but i think i think there is a sort of if you're gonna if you're gonna make public ownership work you've got to sort of you've got to prove the concept Maybe just take something like rail Rail nationalization which people feel very strongly about and on on board with and and then yeah, use that as proof of concept. I mean, you were saying to me earlier, you also think there's something about just promises and politics, and I think I'm sure that's true. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think um, you know, I, I like that thing of under under promise, over deliver. Uh, 
I think, you know, if people get a sense that... I know, but the trouble is that leads, you see, to me, to 2015. And I don't think I was proposing big enough change in 2015, you see. I mean, I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I was sort of proposing, had big analysis of the problems, but, but not big enough solutions to inspire enough people to get on board. So I think, you know, there's... I'm sure there's a happy medium here, but I mean, it isn't, this isn't easy. This is why I'm not, you know, this is why I think it's so easy to be critical, but, but you just got to, you know, and of course there's grounds for criticism, but you just got to, you got to, you got to understand what the right lessons are. I mean, I also think I'm afraid that the whole Brexit fiasco has massively under, significantly undermined people's confidence in political promises, which was pretty low anyway. In other words, they were promised you have this referendum, yeah, you vote be for over, it, it'll be and over, it'll be all, yeah. all be done. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I think what was really interesting for me about the conversation on the doorstep is every, even leave lots of Leave voters agreed that Cameron, had, David Cameron, had got us into a terrible mess in the first place. I mean, there's all, I kind of understood the reasons why Cameron left because he was so he was so associated with Remain, but I think you know, universally, people were so critical of him, including Leave. I mean. I would often say, like, I didn't want the referendum in 2015 because I was feared it would just distract from all the other things that we needed to do. And even Leave voters agreed with it. But I think then the sense was, well, hang on, you asked us. Yeah. If you Once you asked us the question, yeah. you know, and then you just didn't like the answer. You know, you did, there was a sense of you just didn't like the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's been so um, toxic. And, and just that it's been allowed to fester for the years since the referendum as well you know if in 2016 i think what proper leadership could have done in 2016 is said okay we've just over half of us have voted for this just under the half of us haven't so we're going to do it but we're going to do it in a way that feels like a compromise that keeps these people but, on board uh, but uh, it was I allowed to f- no but, do you uh, not think in 2016 that could have worked i don't think it could by the time Theresa may had drawn a red lines and she was bringing that withdrawal agreement i think by that stage anything felt like a stitch up but i think in 2016 if you after maybe. the referendum if you'd introduced say the idea of mm. citizens assemblies and and said it's going to happen but we're going to do it in a way that, that unites the country that would have been the time I mean, to do there it there is quite embedded among some brexit voters a sense that any form of customs union which our manufacturers want or certainly relationship with the single market you know there's quite a hard view about what leave has to mean but i think there was among I think, some people but i think that there is now because it's, it's been allowed to be argued to up. a point yeah. where they you know where where no deal feels like a reasonable version of brexit where it whereas it wasn't something that anybody talked about on the leave side but anyway another another i think it may be true another issue then is you know what promises can be uh what promises can be believed i mean the other thing that is interesting is um, somebody that I think I, I admire quite a lot, John Harris, has he's done some of the best stuff I think on both the election and and before he does this anywhere but Westminster series for the Guardian, and he's written a piece today. We're recording this on Sunday, um, and I think in passing he sort of, you know, it's I think he 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 raises the issue of people, the Labour Party's relationship to sort of communities and community organisations and 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 civics and civil society, but also ideas imposed from the outside i think there's a sort of interesting question isn't there about grassroots 
Well, about grassroots and the extent to which ideas, if we're interested in big ideas, they need to emerge from the grassroots and the extent to which they emerge from somewhere else. And I think you can sort of argue this both ways. The living wage, Arnie Graff, who was this guy who I did, who helped us do community organizing when I was leader, always used to say to me, living wage was an idea that came out in the 1980s, I guess, in America, out of conversations with industrial workers about you know, workers about what would be a fair way of, you know, paying them. That's true. But Sure Start centres emerged from not that. Um, and actually, lots of people in my constituency continue to say, you know, I remember when there were more Sure Start centres and it was great. So I think you can sort of argue this, you know, I think you can you can see this kind of both ways. But I think it's certainly got a Maybe the point is it's got to strike a chord. Maybe it goes back to your point about the four-day week. It's got to strike a chord with people. It's got to feel like rooted in their yeah. lived experience. Yeah. Not, you know, it's got to be somehow relatable. I also think we would that that for these ideas to win or for the progressive argument to win, it has to feel modern. So rightly or wrongly, Labour would painted as 70s throwbacks a lot and and, and you as, know, a, as a millennial yourself yeah as a millennial you know but you had some you know you, that, that resonated with you. <laughs> but you know that you would often hear oh these ideas were tried and this they want to take I us don't back think to that's this. really true actually. well i don't think it's true but i think that's the way it was painted yeah. and that's the way it was perceived and for whatever the flaws of I mean, 19 there wasn't broadband in the <laughs> right right exactly but the, you know that that was the brush they were tarred with yeah. but, but for whatever the flaws were of 1997 it it felt modern in a way it felt like a a new era it's got to be forward looking for britain and and, uh, yeah and i think everything has either you know in terms of brexit there's been a lot of backwards looking stuff around it and i think labor have been caricatured as being backwards looking under the 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 current leadership and that that needs to shake off i I think you know people maybe post-brexit looking forward to a future and of course there's all manner of issues around that because what will brexit do to the economy and the, the shape of the country but i think for these ideas to thrive yeah they, they need to be thought of as, I mean, as people, futuristic i mean people do want big change mm. you know yeah. people do want you know and, and like council house building council houses social housing you know it's quota i mean it might be quote unquote a throwback yeah but it's what people yeah yeah totally agree with it and there's a gee that is quite interesting actually because so i did this commission on social housing cross-party commission with saeed avas in germany we featured it on the podcast and i think that that it goes back to this point about seeding the ground i'm not saying that we on our own seeded the ground but the case for social housing i think the intellectual case for social housing has sort of been won actually right and so, well, there's a sort of practical case on the ground that people, it resonates with people's everyday lives. They know people or they themselves, you know, everyone's affected by the housing crisis in one form or another, even if they're not going to live in social housing. Um, and, and, and secondly, the sort of intellectual political case has sort of been won for it, I think. Yep. But that, that takes, you know, that, that stuff takes time. And yeah. one of the things that we've looked at as we've been thinking about what we'll talk about tonight is 1945. So I was thinking 1945, yeah. you've got this extraordinary circumstance in that it's 
post-wartime, yeah. but in come this Labour government yeah. with these ideas which transformed society yeah. for decades and and. So they still, were a long time coming. Yeah, and this is what I don't I mean, there's think. There's a very good book about it called The Road to the best book I think on it is The Road to 1945 by a guy called uh, uh, professor called Paul Addison which was actually written Joel found out in 1978 uh, the 1970s anyway. Um but I mean honestly I would really recommend it. If people if people under trying to understand and think about big change but for de- the decades podcast, some yeah. of these ideas. Yeah. So, well, yeah, they were sort of fr- yeah. And also, there was a certain framing about the not going back to the 1930s, going through the war. I mean, you know, you do slightly wonder, is it sort of just totally exceptional? Um, but I want, you know, th- the thing I would always say yeah. after 2008 is like, if I, okay, yeah. this, this is yeah. a moment where everything could change, but the, the ideas weren't there and ready to go at, the, at that point after the war. Well, I think Milton break. Friedman said, um, the right wing theorist, um, economist, uh, you know, when a crisis hits, it's some version of when a crisis hits, it's the ideas that are lying around that get picked up, and there maybe there weren't the ideas sufficiently. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, the next time there's a big crisis, though, how many episodes of this podcast will there be? For them to, for them to lying draw around. around. Yeah. Uh, that's a good, that's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah. But from many points of view, this is like, I think, a very bad, gloomy moment. Um, uh, but I think. I think one can't, nor do I think there's an appetite to abandon the quest for big ideas, the quest to implement big ideas, because we're interested in these big ideas about climate change, about inequality, about housing, not, not, not because of a sort of fetish, but because the, the, the problems are so big. I mean, I think you've got to go back to that starting point. You know, the problems demand big solutions. I mean, you can't look at climate change and think, okay, it doesn't need, or, you know, the climate crisis and think, well, you know, never mind these big ideas. Let's just do a tiny little bit of jiggery pokery. But that isn't going to solve the crisis. No. You know, so we're going to have to find a way of doing it. I mean, in a way, there isn't an option of saying, you know, when you think about inequality and and the, the, the deep divisions in our society, which I do think underlie Brexit, you know, you can't say, well, we're just not going to bother with them because it's just too difficult. You've got to find a way of making them resonate more than they did and and i think you know maybe this podcast can be a sort of contributor to some of the um some of the learning of lessons and in a way that i think i think there's two purposes for us isn't there going forward one not just to be the promoters of big ideas but the you know and i think we have done this but you know the the how did they happen so when we've done a lot of the scandinavian stuff you know it's social movements around gender equality for example that made the advances um, in uh, in Scandinavia, that they help make the advances. So that's the one thing. And then, secondly, you know, you can't just sit around for five years feeling mournful. You've got to not just organise, but also, you know, do things in communities which are going to try and alleviate what what is happening. And I think some of them are just loaded up, ready to go. We will have another progressive government. You know, I don't yeah. know if that's in five years. I don't know yeah. if it's in five years. And and even without that, I think some of the ideas, as we've seen with some of your stuff, gets adopted by yeah. conservatives yeah. because that's just the way things are I mean, going. By the way, I do think on social housing, I think that is probably the number one thing that is most likely, where it's possible to happen. Yeah. But also stuff like childcare yeah. and the gender pay gap yeah. stuff is is just there's such social pressure for that to happen. Even conservatives yeah. are having to get on board with it. The next time we get a progressive government, I'm pretty sure we'll get votes at sixteen. Yeah, I think in a way, look, the lesson you learn is that policy 
we sort of knew this, but I think it's a sort of grim reminder, is that policy, good policy ideas don't exist in a, they don't sort of get, they don't happen in a vacuum. You know, they happen in a sort of social, political, cultural context, and they either happen or don't happen in that context. And that the shaping that context is 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 as important as the quality of the idea. Um, we're going to finish with some optimism. With some optimism. Now, if if a little hack we've learned, if you want to do well in terms of. Uh, gathering votes and winning an election at the yeah. constituency level, uh, part of the trick is Ronnie O'Sullivan. Ronnie O'Sullivan. <laughs> so we need to so you know, get O'Sull- scientists to clone Ronnie O'Sullivan. So Ronnie O'Sullivan came to um, my constituency to do some stuff with me and uh, we went to a couple of miners' clubs and I sort of got to know him in the 2015 election. I mean, to be, we were actually raising some money for the uh, victims of the floods Um and to be fair to Ronnie, he didn't just come on the Friday between matches at the UK Championships. He came on uh, the Sunday. He was a bit bored, I think, on the Sunday and came and, and sort of texted me and said, should we do a bit of canvassing? Uh, which was sort of very nice of him. Um, and, I had, and I sort of hastened to add, he didn't then sort of, it wasn't that that led him to get knocked out, um, the, the, the canvassing. Um, but but I did a um some a speech after one of his matches at this uh local miners club, the um Scorthorpe Social Club, just talking a little bit about politics and, and uh we thought there was you thought it was sort of relevant. It was when we put it up on Facebook and you thought it was relevant. To, I think this is great. To, this to, is a great thing to hear and to where we are. Yeah. So we'll finish with this and then we'll be back next week with our reason to be cheerful. And look, I know politics fails you a lot of the time. And believe me, I find politics incredibly frustrating as somebody who is part of it. But I still believe in change. I still believe things can change. And so you've got to decide how you vote at this election. That is totally your decision. And I respect that decision. But don't give up on the idea that things can be better. The thing that depresses me when I go round doors is not when people say I'm not voting Labour, it's when people say you're all the same and nothing can ever change. Because that is hopelessness. And we wouldn't have an NHS without politics. And we wouldn't have trade unions without politics. And we wouldn't be tackling all of the other things that we face without politics. And so, yes, politics is frustrating. Yes, politics fails you a lot of the time. But please don't give up on it. Because things can be better than this. Things can be better. I promise you things can be better than this. Get rid of the Tories! I wasn't going to say that. that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.